This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Just yesterday on this show, Republican Congressman Fred Upton came very close to being the first Republican in Congress to come out in support of the impeachment inquiry against President Trump. Let's really look at all the details, ask, ask lots of questions, and see where it takes us. So you're supportive of the idea that there needs to be this inquiry. You're not... You're not yeah, I, I, want to, I, I want the answers to the questions uh, that, that need to be raised. So there he is saying he needs answers to the questions that need to be raised. But his office immediately walked that comment back and pointed out that Upton had voted against the impeachment inquiry last week. This is a great illustration of a pretty major problem in the efforts to hold this president accountable for just about anything. No matter what he does, no matter what he says, Republicans display a rock-solid unwillingness to distance themselves from President Trump. Why is that? And is it as out of the ordinary as it seems? Is there something peculiar about Donald Trump and this Republican Party that separates it from the kind of party loyalty we've seen in the past? That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And of course, we want to hear from you, especially if you are a Republican. I know we have lots of conservative listeners here on the show. Call and tell us what you make of what Donald Trump is doing and whether you find it difficult to call him out, whether you find it difficult to say this is not what my Republican Party is about or stands for. Tell us why. Tell us why you are maybe still supporting President Trump. Tell us why you think, uh, for instance, uh, this is maybe no different from Democrats standing by Bill Clinton 20 years ago uh, or other instances of party loyalty that we've seen in our history. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation a little later. We're also going to be joined by Dennis Darnoy, who is a Republican political consultant, who is going to come and tell us some of the things that he has learned about Republican support for uh, Donald Trump. But joining us now is Adam Serwer. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic, where he covers politics. He recently wrote a piece titled, Why Republicans Aren't Turning on Trump. Adam Serwer, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's start with uh, an excerpt uh, from your piece. You said uh, the president used his authority to criminalize or suppress his political rivals in violation of the people's right to choose their leadership. His acts exemplify the scenario the framers feared when they contemplated a corrupt president using executive power to keep himself in office. What the framers may not have contemplated, however, is the extent to which a demagogue is capable of convincing the supporters that the president and the people are one and the same, and therefore the president is incapable of betraying the people. Uh, talk about what it is about Trump that endears him so much to Republicans. Well, I think uh, it, it's, it's less Trump than factors that predate Trump. And what you've seen, you know, those lines are specifically about the president seeking to use his authority as president of the United States to pressure a foreign country to investigate a political rival. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, when, they, when the founders were contemplating the Constitution, they specifically talked about the possibility of a president who would use his power to stay in office in perpetuity. And because they were concerned about creating a king, they wanted to make sure that that could not happen. And that's one of the reasons why the impeachment clause exists. Um, but I think that for Republicans, there is a level of partisan polarization that exists in the United States right now, uh, particularly along racial lines, that I think leads Republicans to uh, uh, that first of all, exacerbates divisions between right and left to an extent to which you can see why things are, uh, arguments are so heated and angry and vitriolic at this point. But it, it also uh, creates a, a situation where one side can view the other side as illegitimate inherently because of its constituencies. And I think that you're seeing that right now with the Republicans. This is not a particularly partisan thing. It happens whenever one particular party becomes racially homogenous and the other becomes diverse, they start to view the diverse party as illegitimate. Once upon a time, it was the Democrats. Uh, today, it's Republicans. And you can see that in the measures they take uh, to prevent the other party from not simply uh, doing what they want, but ever holding power in the first place by targeting that party's constituencies and making sure that they uh, don't actually have the political influence uh, to swing elections. They do that through voter ID. They do it through gerrymandering. They do it through stripping executives of their power when they come into office. And in this case, Trump took it to uh, a tremendous extreme, which was he sought to prevent the other party from taking power by using his authority as president uh, to criminalize whoever uh, it, it, his most likely uh, political rival in the next presidential election, at least at this moment. Yeah. I mean, it, it is remarkable when I when I look around at uh, the headlines and social media and and cable news at the extent to which Republicans are willing to go uh, in, in just in terms of uh, escaping logic or fact in order to justify what the president has done. I read a, uh, an article in Newsweek just this morning, for instance, that says only 40 percent of Republicans believe that Trump mentioned Joe Biden in the Ukraine call. Now, this is something that the transcript that the White House released of the call confirms. It's also something that the president hasn't been shy about saying he did. Uh, and yet 40 percent uh, of Republicans, only 40 percent of Republicans believe that that happened. Uh, that kind of extreme uh, denial, I think, is is one of the things that that stands out right now um, in the in the, the 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 context of our our political dialogue. So I think one manifestation of our political polarization is that a lot of Republicans are only getting their news from pro-Trump sources, and they disbelieve news from sources that aren't pro-Trump unless the news itself is pro-Trump. Um, so it's not. It's almost not surprising to me because Republican conservative media has been focusing largely on whether the whistleblower complaint uh, was uh, handled properly, which it was for all uh, for it, for what we know right now. Um, but also the underlying facts substantiate the claims that the whistleblower made, the underlying facts revealed by the White House. But to, but my, my guess is that a lot of these people, a lot of those Republicans, they're not actually hearing about the substance of the allegations. They're hearing that the Democrats uh, made up uh, this allegation that Trump tried to extort the president of Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden, um, that it was all made up and that they, uh, 
the Democrats arranged it and that it's not a real thing that happened, even though the president himself, as you pointed out, has admitted to the underlying conduct. Yeah. Uh, I also believe that, um, you know, you were talking earlier about how this is not just about Trump, but about the divisions among us. Um, I also think it is about the the malevolence uh, that that people feel toward uh, people on the other side of the aisle right now, and and Republicans in particular. Um, it is almost as if uh, they support Trump not because they believe he will do great things for them. Uh, it's as though they seem to think that he will do bad things. Uh, to the people they don't like, which I think is a is a peculiar kind of uh, political belief, and it it makes it very difficult, I think, to have conversations about uh, about actual policy or or, or decision making. Uh, but it also makes it difficult for the opposition party to figure out how to appeal to those people if if the goal is to punish the opposition rather than to make things better for yourself. Um, what's the message that uh, that somebody else can can uh, can give you that you would uh, that you would support? So I think that that is also a, a symptom of our racial polarization. So one of the things this political scientist named Liliana Mason, who has a book about this called Uncivil Agreement, and which, which when she write, what she writes about is the fact that um, as far as the parties are concerned, our sort of religious and ethnic and cultural identities have all become aligned with our political identities. And that tends to make, uh, you know, for example, if you are a, a, a white Christian, you are uh, very likely to be a Republican. And if you are not, you are very likely to be a Democrat. Um, so that's not happening equally on both sides. Uh, you know, obviously, there are uh, hipsters in Brooklyn who are very liberal, and there are church ladies in South Carolina who are very liberal, black church ladies in South Carolina who are very liberal, and they're not culturally the same, um, but they, they are both part of the Democratic coalition. So that that that... that that sort of uh, heterogeneity is not happening uh, happening equally on both sides. But what it means is that the parties are increasingly fighting each other on battlegrounds of identity, uh, which can feel very existential. It's not a coincidence uh, that the president spends a lot of time trying to make his base angry about some sort of thing uh, that he feels like is threatening them, because that is the primary uh, way that he, he, he motivates his base politically. He makes them feel as though... Uh, the other side wants to take something from them. So I'll just give like a trivial example. Um, this whole issue, Trump likes to say that we're allowed to say Merry Christmas again. Well, nobody ever stopped saying Merry Christmas. Right. Um, but, uh, and, and I'm Jewish, and I can tell you that people never stop saying Merry Christmas to me, and when people <laughs> say it to me, I say it back. So this, and, you know, I'm obviously not a, a hardcore conservative. So I think, you know, this is a made-up thing. But when he says that, the, the point of it is to say is that these people want to take Christmas from you. Um, and it, it doesn't sort of matter that it's ridiculous because we're so divided that people will believe just about anything. Um, and, and so th this political atmosphere is the one that I think, you know, Trump is a symptom of that political atmosphere, but he's not its cause. Um, and he's not, uh, it, it, you know, if he goes away, that is not going to be necessarily resolved. It's something that is much deeper than simply one person. Hmm. 
okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Adam Serwer of The Atlantic. We're going to add in Dennis Darnoy, a local Republican political consultant who tracks voter data, and we are going to get to your calls. Uh, tell us what you think about the idea of Republicans not turning on Donald Trump, no matter what he does, no matter what he says. We especially want to hear from you if you consider yourself a member of the Republican Party or a conservative. What do you make of Donald Trump and the things that he's doing? Do you think it reflects your values and your belief in the party? Or has he gone off the rails and needs to be reined in? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Charlie in Detroit, Vernon in Auburn Hills, Bernadette in Redford will get to you as well. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Adam Serwer, staff writer at The Atlantic, where he covers politics. He recently wrote a piece titled, Why Republicans Aren't Turning on Trump. And that is what we are talking about, the loyalty that Donald Trump seems to have, not just from Republican lawmakers, but from Republican voters. No matter what he says or does, they seem to stand by him. What does that say about our current politics. What does that say about the Republican Party? Uh, If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think this says about the Republican Party and about our politics. And we especially want to hear from you. If you are a Republican or a conservative, uh, what do you make of the things that this president is doing and saying? Uh, Do they make you proud to be a Republican or a conservative? Or are you worried that uh, he's doing damage to that brand and taking the country and the party in a direction that you don't want to support. I also want to add another voice to this conversation. Dennis Darnoy is a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data. Dennis, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your reaction to what's going on right now. There is an impeachment inquiry that has been launched by the Democrats in the House of Representatives to look into this issue of this phone call between the president and the president of Ukraine. Um, Is this something that you think rises to the level of this inquiry? Is this something that's making you question whether Donald Trump uh, deserves the support of Republicans and conservatives? Uh, It does not make me question whether or not he deserves uh, the support. Um, We saw during the Clinton impeachment uh, how Democrats rallied to um, Clinton, um, and there was a stark divide between the Democrats' view of the impeachment process and the Republicans' view of the impeachment process. And I think we're seeing the same thing play out here. Republicans in the past have gone to conservatives and promised them things. And I'm thinking, you know, specifically of of, uh, George uh, H.W. Bush uh, and George W. Bush and didn't deliver. And the funny thing about Donald Trump is he went to that conservative base, promised things to them, and actually has gone and delivered. And because of that, that conservative base is very loyal to him. Hmm. So, so, I mean, I I, I would... uh 
I would quibble with your first uh, example, uh, the the Clinton impeachment, uh, comparing it to this one. So that was an impeachment that was not about a matter of state in any way. It was about a personal character flaw that that president had that voters, in fact, knew about, not just uh, in 1992 when they elected him, but when they reelected him in 1996. Uh, and so the idea that Democrats stuck by Clinton through that, I think, was about the idea that this was this was a strange process to, to unleash on the entire country uh, about a president's character flaws. Here, we are talking about a really serious matter of state. If he did what he's accused of doing. If the transcript of what he said on that phone call with the president of Ukraine is accurate, I mean, that Im- that implicates all kinds of things about his duty as the chief executive, uh, as the leader of the Republican Party, and as, of course, of uh, as the, the, the chief diplomat uh, for, for the nation. Do you really think those are the same things? What I think is the same is how the partisans view it. So with Clinton, it wasn't the affair per se. It was them believing he lied under oath and that being an impeachable offense. And that is what Republicans hung their hats on. Democrats, in turn, make the very case that that you made. Now, here we have Republicans defending the president um, based on technicalities where Democrats are saying, no, this is a very serious thing. So how the parties and how the partisans in each party viewed the process and viewed the charges are similar. And as what I was, the point I'm trying to make is that as Democrats came to the defense of Clinton because they saw the impeachment as being uh, very trivial, Republicans are now saying, well, Democrats are just trying to get payback for for Clinton. Mm. This doesn't rise to an impeachable offense. So the support of the parties for their particular candidate, Clinton in one or president in in one, is the same because of viewing it through a different prism. Mm. Uh, I I was talking earlier about this story in Newsweek uh, that shows that only 40 percent of Republicans even believe that the president mentioned Joe Biden during this call. Uh, you do a lot of work uh, with uh, with voter data and, and, and polling. Uh, tell us what you're learning about what Republicans think about what this president did and uh, and whether it was wrong. Well, again, your uh, Adam uh, was correct when he was saying that uh, partisans get their news from different sources. And so the coverage from a conservative news viewpoint isn't so much on uh, you know what what Trump said what Trump did it's more trying to find holes and and you know poke holes in the theories that exist one of the things that we've seen for a long time is there really aren't institutions that the public views as credible anymore they have they don't have respect for Congress they don't have respect for the news they don't have respect for the church uh, so there isn't any group or organization that can take some type of moral high ground and make an argument that is going to be persuasive to the entire country. So Republicans are certainly getting a viewpoint on how this uh, impeachment is is uh, inquiries is folding out, and it's different than you know someone who listens to this station or watches CNN. Mm. 
again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's get uh, some callers involved in the conversation here. Let's start with Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Steve. Hey. Um, well, first of all, I think our president's pretty delusional, um, but he's a hell of a con man. He's, he's a consummate con man. And he's been able to tap into the fears, greed, prejudice, um, and fears of the Republican Party. They don't have a choice. They don't have anybody other than him. And they can't stand to lose. I mean, that's the last thing they want to do. They want to stick it to the Democrats as much as possible. That's what Trump does. That's what they want. They really don't care what else he does as long as he does that. And, you know, and they think we're... I guess the opposition or the Democrats are just as delusional as they are. So I don't know how you bridge the divide. It's like crazy. Mm. Uh, Charlie, I appreciate the call and the perspective. Uh, Adam Serward, you, you mentioned that uh, this has happened before when you have the kind of demographic uh, dynamics at work uh, that we do now between uh, the Republican Party and uh, the Democratic Party. How has that sorted itself out, though, over time to kind of go back to uh, a, a more a, a more balanced state? Um, well, in the, I mean, honestly, in the past, it's ended in a, in a very uh, tragic way, which is if you look at, you know, we're, we're the parties are about as polarized as they were at the end of Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And the way that ended was that uh, Democrats created a racist one-party state in the South, and the Republicans said, you know what, that's fine. We can just get on with other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in a large sense, this whole Trump phenomenon is a, is a conflict that is, is a symptom of a conflict that we've been fighting as Americans since the founding, which is what kind of democracy is America going to be? Are we going to be a place where uh, anybody can be an American, where, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, race, color, creed, or are we are going to, going to be a place where there is a specific idea of what it means to be American, and that the uh, idea is that, you know, white Christians are more American than everybody else. Mm. Uh, and I think that, honestly, this will end, uh, this, this whole thing will end when uh, we all accept each other as equally legitimate as 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 full American citizens, and I don't know exactly how that happens. And it's possible that it doesn't happen. It's possible that uh, you know, if the Democrats lose in 2020, they are going to they, they could move substantially to the right, uh, and we and we could have a kind of repeat of where uh, the constituencies, the minority constituencies that are so important to the Democratic Party right now. Uh, lose a tremendous amount of influence and are unable to participate uh, in, in the political um, process in the way that they are now. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Hmm. Uh, but I will say that I think, you know, the, the previous ways in which America has sort of, you know, resolved conflicts of this nature, uh, have you know, those are not, uh, in my view, viable morally. Hmm. Uh, Dennis, I wonder what you make of of the future prospects for the Republican Party. I mean, uh, this is a party that after the 2012 election, you heard a lot of leaders say this is a party that's dying because of the demographics and the way that changes are taking place in the in the country. They said they needed to reach out to new constituencies to be able to compete at the national level. Uh, they didn't do that, but they won the 2016 election anyway, or at least they won uh, the electoral college portion of uh, of the election. Uh, that almost uh, suggests doubling down on uh, 
this this very narrow demographic uh, vision of the Republican Party is not going to pun is not going to result in any sort of negative consequence for them. Well, I see the election of 2020 playing out that way. I mean, for better or for worse, Trump is the head of the Republican Party. And as we see with states changing their rules on how to run a Republican primary, he is going to do whatever he possibly can to maintain his control over the party. But there is a group of Republicans, a group of conservatives, uh, who do not agree with where he's taking the country, who do not believe he speaks for traditional conservatives, um, who do believe in balanced budgets, who do believe in free trade, who do believe in immigration reform. So I think there's going to be um, a period of time whether he, if he wins in 2020, um, then there's going to be you know a long time in the forest fighting against this type of approach. But should he fail in 2020, I think there's going to be a void in the Republican Party. And those people who support traditional conservative values, neocons, are going to try to raise the party back up to that. And remember, we saw Trump's version of conservatism way back when, when Pat Buchanan challenged George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, the neocons were, were successful um, and, and, and beating that back. But it's so it's going to be cyclical. And, and you know, just as there are Republicans going after Democrats, there are Republicans who don't agree with this president and the way he is running the country. And there will be a battle to reclaim the Republican Party relatively soon. Hmm. Uh, Adam Serwer, what do you make of uh, the now, I think, three Republican candidates who say they want to challenge this president next year in the primary process? Is that is that Republican standing up uh, in some way to to Donald Trump? Um, look, those people don't have a whole lot of support. They're not going to get a whole lot of support. The, the the Republican Party is actually, I mean, Republican voters are very happy with Donald Trump. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing about Trump is, you know, to the extent that he was a heterodox Republican in 2016, he promised not to uh, cut entitlements. He promised to uh, do uh, uh, pass a health care law that would give everybody uh, health care uh, you know, he's actually really more of a typical Ryan Republican now than before. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the the exception is his uh, harsh position on immigration. But policy-wise, he's not actually that different uh, from, uh, I mean, he is different in significant ways, but not in so many ways different from the way that a normal, that that, a, that another Republican president would have governed. Um, and, and so I think it, in some sense, you know, the, the risk for Trump is that, all those promises that made him seem like a more moderate Republican in 2016 um, have basically show, been shown to be not really that serious. I mean, he tried to repeal uh, the, the Affordable Care Act without uh, passing a substitute. Uh, his, you know, he left the party uh, in the midterms. Um, you know, the, the Republicans were running, saying that they, you know, really believe in pre-existing conditions while try, trying to repeal them. So I, I don't, I'm not sure that it's not entirely clear to me. Um, that the Donald Trump of 2020 is going to appeal quite as much uh, to the to, to the crucial voters that he was able to win um, in 2016 
uh, you know, because of the way that he's shifted more towards a typical Republican position. Mm. But as far, but it's it's difficult for me to see at this point. Republicans have, um, you know, the the geographic distribution of uh, Trump support is such that it gives Republicans such a tremendous advantage, both in the Senate and in the Electoral College, mm-hmm. that it's hard for me to see the Republican Party um, altering its approach anytime soon uh, in the direction of that 2012 a- autopsy that said they would they, they needed to diversify. Now, to be clear, I think that uh, if they did, it would be better for the country and better for polarization and better for everything else. Um, but the obvious benefits of continuing the sort of Trump strategy of, of, of racial division are are just the benefits for them are are very obvious, hmm. and it, it's hard for me to see them straying from that. Okay, that's going to have to be the last word. But Adam Serwer, staff writer at the Atlantic, and Dennis Darno, a Republican political consultant, thanks to both of you for being here on Detroit today. Thank you very Thank much, you. Stephen. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk with Senator Debbie Stabenow. We'll also hear about businesses in Detroit that are owned and run by their own employees and why Detroit isn't embracing that co-op business model the way other cities are. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. Tomorrow.